uh, in a sermon series that um, I think is going to be really fantastic. And I, I hope you'll be genuinely uh, engaging and, and listening as best you can so that you can get the best out of the messages and being applying these things to your life, that we together can be a gospel-centered church all the more. Okay, let me pray and I'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that we could worship and praise you this morning. We thank you for the witness of those who have been baptized today and, and for Roland who will be baptized later on. We pray, Almighty God, that you would now help us as we look at your word, as we spend some time in this message, that you would be impressing upon us the truths of your word, helping us to be true followers of yours, obedient to you and honoring you. Lord, that from here we would go and apply these things to our life. Be at work by your spirit in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start us off with a scenario. Uh, imagine, as many of you have perhaps experienced, you board the train in the cool air of a Sydney morning to head on a six, maybe seven-hour train trip from Central to Taree. Looking at the details on your ticket, you search for your seat, dodging other people who are doing the same thing. Finally, you find your seat. Next to you, at the window seat, you'll be sitting with a stranger who seems nice enough on first impressions and thankfully doesn't smell too bad. You introduce yourself and they acknowledge your existence as a human being of some kind. They seem uninterested in small talk, but you choose to persist a little more. You say, I'm on my way back to, to Taree. Where are you headed today? They respond, same. And look out the window. Now sitting in the awkwardness of this somewhat forced interaction, you begin reading, but not really reading because the eternal weight of the situation is bearing down upon you. You begin to stress a little, even feeling hot, as though this train was bound for hell and the person next to you is solely dependent on you for salvation from the flames ah oh, what do i say i have to say something so who will you be voting for in the election ah oh, you kick yourself internally for what feels like such a stupid question i don't know the nameless person next to you replies this is so hard this is so hard this is nothing like what the preacher said in church he made it sound so easy Easy for him. After six long hours, maybe seven, of, a, of guilt and shame, you hear the train intercom. The train will shortly be arriving in Tari. All passengers leaving the train at Tari, please collect your things, checking the overhead compartment and under your seats, ensuring nothing is left behind. Left behind? Left behind? You realize it's now or never heaven or hell. You look at the person next to you and go to speak the eloquent, eloquent gospel challenge you have beautifully dictated in your head throughout the whole trip. You go to speak. Well, catch ya. Oh, yep. You're inadequate. You're a failure. The self-talk certainly has taken a turn for the worse. The train pulls into Tari Station. You and the person next to you grab your bags and get off. On the platform, you see the pastor from the church up the road. He gives you a wave, 
then with a big smile welcomes home their adult child, the person you've been sitting next to the whole time. <laughs> I'm not referring to, to Brinley or to Liam, by the, by the way, or Connor. Just the story. When you hear the challenge to tell people about Jesus, do you sink inside a little bit? Perhaps you have even grown frustrated or feel disillusioned at the mention of evangelism or mission. Perhaps despondency and inadequacy follow a typical sermon on the, the Great Commission. The fact is, many people are simply not confident conversationalists. Have a look at the video. You girls look fun. I had to come over and say hi. You girls looked fun. I had to come over and say hi. <laughs> hi. Oh, hey. This place is beautiful. Have you ever been here before? Wow, this place is beautiful. Have you, have you been here before? Is this McDonald's? Yeah. I've been working here for about three, four months. Wow, well, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I just. Let me get your opinion on something. What do you think of insert clothing item here? Uh, let me get your opinion on something. Insert clothing item here. Pants. Okay. Jacket. What do you think? Pants. Nothing. Those aren't good choices then? <laughs> Oh, it's okay. <laughs> we tried. Thanks. See ya. Let me get your opinion on something. You think it's worth it to option A or option B? Um, let me get your opinion on something. Do, <laughs> do you think it's worth it to option A or option B? Depends. What do each letter represent? Did I say letter? Oh, shh. You said A or B. I was actually supposed to well, say... I don't know what that represents. Ah, uh, darn it. Sorry, I was just trying to do a good conversation starter, that, oh. but I messed up. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. All right. They were, they were just following a, a bit of helpful advice they'd been given from the internet to try and start some conversations. Now, as introverts, I'm one, by the way. This is the point where you all laugh, yep. Uh, it's just not easy to talk to strangers. In fact, it can be darn frightful. The good news is, for those who are natural in introverts, God made you that way, and he's happy that he did. He does not want you uh, or, or expect that you will become somebody else. But does that mean you're off the hook? Yes, to a degree. In the sense that God has no desire for you to go through life with the neck tension the clammy palms, the sweaty collar, and the deep foreboding that comes from uh, forced conversations, forced gospel conversations with a stranger. But God still desires for you to live as a sincere witness to the gospel in whatever context you find yourself. The fact is, witnessing is not something that we can turn off and on again. As long as you're walking, breathing, playing, eating, talking, reading listening, watching, you cannot help but be a, wit a witness of some kind. It's just what's happening all the time. The question is, and I found this question particularly running through my mind over and over again this week, what kind of a witness are you? Or what kind of a witness am I? What kind of a witness am I? We're not all gifted 
in evangelism, eloquent in speech, or charismatic in character. But we are all children of God, saved by grace and heading for glory if we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 15 of our passage for today from 1 Peter chapter 3. Who is initiating the gospel conversation in this instance? It's the not yet saved. And why have they been prompted to ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have? Because the faithful Christian, ha- the faithful, sorry, because the faithful Christian has set apart Christ as Lord in all things. All things. In the in the Greek, this aspect of all things is speaking of all of life. It is all encompassing. The witness of their life says, Jesus is the boss. Jesus is king. Jesus has the authority over my life. Jesus' Jesus' teaching is to be obeyed. Jesus is Lord in all aspects of my life, in all the decisions I'm making, in all the time that I'm spending. But I want us to head back to chapter 2 and verse 12. Go there with me if you've got your Bibles open. And let's see how this provoking of questions comes about. It says there, and you'll see it on the screens, live such good lives, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why are they glorifying God because of what they've seen not simply because of what they've heard because of what they've seen in the witness of the person who follows Jesus and what is it it's the good deeds reading this verse you can think of either two conclusions as to what this uh, day he visits us is either it's the day uh, of the coming judgment when the Lord returns and, and gathers us all to him or it could be in terms of Uh, because in other translations it could read on the day of his visitation this day of his visitation could very well be when this person who's been witnessed to the Holy Spirit comes to them and they are convicted of their need to repent they put their trust in the Lord Jesus and are saved either one of these two it seems though that the the second of those options is perhaps uh, more appropriate because it's the witnessing going on in this life Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's God's God's desire to keep uh, wrong and evil in this world at bay. And he places rulers in in charge uh, for his purposes, in his sovereign understanding, which we don't know, but we know is true and we know his way is good in spite of some of the reckless evil we see in this world. Then we see in verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence, literally that you should muzzle the ignorant. The ignorant, this is speaking of willful willful ignorance, deliberately, they are people who have every opportunity to know the truth of Jesus, but choose instead to willfully be ignorant of the truth and not follow Jesus. Silence, muzzle the ignorant talk of foolish people. 
verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover, as a cover for evil. Live as God's slaves. To me, I have this funny picture in my head of a person committing some sort of sin. Say they're in the street and they're swearing their head off at somebody and somebody else comes up, aren't, aren't you that person from church? Aren't you that pastor guy? And, some, and, and you say, it's okay, I'm forgiven. Yep, how ridiculous. It's like that you would think that uh, because of your freedom in Christ, because you've been set free from the guilt and shame of your sin, because you have been uh, saved for all eternity in the, from the consequences of your sin, you would somehow think that you have a license to go on sinning. No, we are to live as slaves to God and, and freely choose to live as slaves to God. That's how we are to use our freedom. Verse 17, show proper respect. That is honor. Esteem highly. Show proper respect to everyone. Why would we do that? Because every other person on this earth is made in the image of God. And every other person on this earth has been shown the grace of God through the Lord Jesus, whether they've received Jesus as Lord or not. To everyone, love Love the family of believers. Fear or revere God. We did that a, a few times in our songs this morning in, in speaking of God in his awesome nature, in his majesty. We revere him because he is holy and set apart and glorious. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, in this is... 1 Peter, this is written in a time when Christians are being fed to lions or strung up on poles and set alight to be torches for the street. And they're being told, honour the emperor. Our society is a changing society, isn't it? Becoming more and more anti-Christian. If they were told, honour the emperor... I think we can, to some degree, hopefully, honour the emperor. Yep. Because we're not yet facing the persecution, most certainly, that the Romans were. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable in, if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Now, these slaves, they, this is not to be uh, considered in the same mindset as the African who has been taken from their home, homeland on a ship uh, all the way to North America. Not the same scenario. But still in this circumstance, a slave living as a slave, perhaps repaying a debt to somebody that they owe money to, is in a circumstance where they are responsible in their work to their master. And perhaps the master's a pretty harsh kind of person. The slave becomes a Christian. Does that mean uh, they continue to speak badly of their master or to you know, slag off their master? Oh, Jesus, a rat bag, etc., etc. There's a submission that is called for. And the hope is, in all of these circumstances, 
is that the person who is not the believer will see the good deeds of the person who is the believer, even if that person who is the believer has to suffer for doing good, and that the person who is a non-believer, the person who is not yet saved, would see and believe, be convicted, there is something different about this person. Yeah? We go on. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves... That this is from uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, that if any of them do not believe the word of God, and in the literal sense, this is that they actually oppose the gospel, they oppose the word of God. They're not just indifferent. The hope is that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see, and literally this is, watch attentively. Don't you think it's, it's true that uh, human beings watch each other naturally, right? But when a non-Christian finds out that a person's a Christian, a lot of the time the attentiveness of their watching is heightened, I think. This person that work, you, you work with, all of a sudden they go, oh, you're a Christian. And you're under the microscope. When they see, watching attentively, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Where does the purity and reverence come from? It's because it's inspired by the faith that the wife has in God. Yeah? Husbands. If we go to verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. In the same way. In terms of submission. In the same way. Be considerate of... Uh, uh, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, before you start throwing tomatoes at me, the, the weaker partner uh, is not by any means speaking as if the, the woman is anything uh, less intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. It by no means. It, the, the two options we have would be uh, a f physical strength or Particularly, and definitely this would be the case, the social circumstance of the wife compared to the husband. And what we should hear from Peter here is that he's calling for the husband to be one who doesn't treat the wife as second class, but that as the Christian husband, he should be protecting, he should be providing, he should be caring for his spouse. And it says, and as heirs with you, you could read it as co-heirs, together saved, right? Heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is spiritual, uh, two spiritual equals, seeking the fruit of God's blessing through prayer together. Something that shouldn't be hindered, Peter is saying. Something that shouldn't be hindered by wrong attitudes or false superiority of the husband. Finally, Verse 8, all of you be, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is love among believers. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. This is love for the unbelievers. Grace to them as we have been shown grace from the Lord. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. 
For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ear, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. This could also be read as, do not fear what they fear. What does the world fear? What other people think of me? My place in society? Whether I'll have enough money for retirement? Financial security? My, my health? My well-being? All of these things, right? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere or fear Christ as Lord. Christ as Lord, once again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is a challenge to me, I find. Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Being people who have the gospel, who know the truth, doesn't mean we are arrogant. Doesn't mean we are proud because we have received this by grace. Yeah? And part of us being good witnesses for Christ is to live as people who share the gospel, who live out the gospel in the way we live with gentleness and respect even when the people we're speaking to are reviling us or hating us. Verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience. So just as there is to be gentleness and respect, I think there is to be uh, honesty in the witness. Openness to witness. This is not an opportunity to, to manipulate a person. It's just to be open and, and who you are. I'm a Christian. Jesus saved me. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their, of their slander. They've got nothing to say against you. And then in verse 18, and this is like the, the most incredible verse that we come to. And what is the gospel? That is the, the, the answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. This is the gospel. Jesus suffered once for sins. For years, sacrifices have been made at the altar to cover over, to, to make amends, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And Jesus dies once, once. The fulfillment of the promise and all we need for salvation. And it was the righteous one, the glorious one, our Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, dying in the place of the unrighteous. To give you a visual rep representation, when Jesus died on the cross, Okay, imagine all of you 
uh, at times a gazillion, right, eternity. The wrath of God pouring upon Jesus for all the wrong of humanity. And us, the unrighteous, the ones who should be hanging on the cross, the ones who should be dying because of our complete unfaithfulness, our sticking it to God and saying, I'll be king, I've got this, I don't need you, my creator God, right? We get to stand on the other side of the cross and be safe in the shadow of the cross while Jesus is smashed because of our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you and I to God. For eternity. In paradise with Him. He was put to death in the body. But He didn't stay dead. And the resurrection is the clincher. Because if He stayed dead, well, we wouldn't be here today. If we stayed dead, dead the disciples wouldn't have bothered to preach about him. They would have gone back to fishing and whatever. In fact, they did until they were confronted with the the resurrected Jesus. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of his resurrection, just as we celebrate in the baptisms today, in going under the water, representing us being dead with Christ, his death for us. And in rising out of the water, representing walking in new, new life with Christ. His life is our life. As we witness to everybody around, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. And I now walk out of the water. I walk with him in eternal life. If all you can muster is the courage to quote this verse, you've done well. Okay? You've done quite well. Beyond that, if you're very much an introvert, look, tell them there's extroverts at church and you can come and talk to them. I work with one. (laughs) He knows it. It's okay. At the heart of it, our lives and our witness are about commending, applauding, praising and declaring that we are saved by grace and heading for eternity with God in paradise. We can witness to others with a sense of awe that we are adopted, we are rescued and blessed in Christ. Grace ought to be the flavor of our lives, infusing our hearts and causing the same grace to then flow over from our lives into the lives of other people. Loving God and loving others is not the exclusive role of preachers, evangelists, and missionaries. We all have contact with people, don't we? At the doctor's surgery, the school gate, the classroom, the staff room, the boardroom, the change room, the petrol station, the cafe, at training, at the building site, at the checkout. The list is near endless, isn't it? These are the places for our testimony to the saving power of the gospel. We do this through the witness of our actions, 
our attitudes, our behavior, our relationships, our ambitions, our motivations. We show the power of God through our gentleness and thoughtfulness, through refusing to undermine, dominate or gossip about others. We respect everyone by virtue of the fact that they, like us, are God's image bearers and objects of his grace. We love and serve even those who despise and demean us. Godly living will surely lead to opportunities to share the reason for the hope that you have. It is only natural. But can I say, allow the pressure of being Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist, to to lift from your shoulders? Unless, of course, you're called to be the next Billy Graham, and if that's the case, then I'll cheer you on. Uh, It's this simple. If they'll listen, tell them. If they won't, show them. And of course, pray as you go, trusting God with the outcome, knowing that God is sovereign and has got every individual's life in hand. And remember this, Jesus is Messiah, not you. As you are, as you are, introverted or extroverted, trained evangelist or person of simple faith, Every Christian is called to be a minister of the gospel and to be a living witness to the gospel. Our lives and even our stammered words all play a part in the faithful witness of the gospel. Our take-home message for today, all believers are witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us. Think about the story of the train trip I spoke about at the start. The person was clearly not interested in conversation and the introverted Christian was using every ounce of strength to say hello. Think, how else besides stressing over this stranger's eternal salvation in the seat next to you for six hours straight, how could you witness in other ways? Maybe it's talking to somebody else on the train and them overhearing you. Maybe it's offering to buy them lunch from the buffet car. Maybe it's offering them a snack on the journey. We can get creative in the way we bless people. We can get creative in the way we witness to people. In gentleness and respect. Ultimately, in love for other members of humanity who God loves. How about a bit of homework for the week ahead. If you were teenagers, you'd go, ask yourself yourself this week, over and over, what kind of witness am I to others? Let that question ring in your ears. What kind of witness am I to others? And secondly, the gospel should change our outlook on life and how we approach the different issues of our day. This should mean that every topic has potential to be a gospel conversation because we are Christians. Perhaps practice it first with each other at morning tea today or at home with your family. Then can I encourage you, allow your biblical perspectives, your Christian ethics and values, your understanding of the gospel 
and the love and grace of God. Allow your Christian faith to be part of your conversations about politics, about the environment, work, sport, the weather, anything. Okay? Because God doesn't belong in a little box here on Collardong Road. Yep. When tomorrow comes and somebody asks, what did you do on the weekend? You can tell them you went to church. Yep. All right. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I hope you would consider those things in the week to come and, and that would help you to, to live as witnesses for Christ in this world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you have provided us with the most wonderful message that exists, the most wonderful message there is. And thank you, Lord, that we don't just communicate it with words, but we communicate it in all aspects of our life. We pray, Lord, that indeed people would see the good deeds of our lives and they would ask, that they would question and that you would enable us, Lord, even if it is in the most simple way, to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have in you. You are our Lord. You are our Saviour. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.